take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 18 and take that little book and uh, turn to something when I advance it, but it's not advancing, so uh, you'll do that. Take your book and turn to The Hurt Life. There we go, on page number 20 and Matthew chapter 18. I was um, reading a book some time ago that I picked up. The title of the book was A Thousand Senior Moments. I had a little asterisk that said, but I can only remember 278 of them. And, and one of the stories in this book was about a um, prison in Jacksonville, Florida. They were building a brand new state-of-the-art prison, $20 million prison or whatever, and they were having, they were 30 days away from the grand opening. I'm not sure you do for a grand opening of a prison. I guess you arrest people. I'm not sure. But anyway, grand opening. And they were 30 days out, and they realized they had forgotten something. And all their planning and preparation, they had all the state-of-the-art equipment and, you know, walls and wardens and whatever else. But they'd forgotten one thing. They forgot to order the doors for the cells. And I thought, you know, that, that is a great picture of bitterness, because bitterness is like living in a, in, in a prison. The, the, the doors are open. We could walk out, but we stay inside that prison, inside the doors of our own making. Guys, I'm not advancing, so you can help me with that. And, and I want to I talk about, about bitterness this morning, and I want us to look at that from a biblical perspective and, and just from our own um, walk to see, are we really, have we really stepped out of that prison of bitterness um, in our life. So let's look at Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew 18, there's a, a just a, even a, a part of a verse here that I think the first part of this verse, if it was followed, all of disunity in the church would cease. All the friction, um, all the disunity in the church would cease. Matthew chapter 18, um, the, the first, uh, we're going to start like at verse 15. If this part, there's one verse was followed, there would be no more division or gossip in the church. It says this, Matthew 18 and verse 15. If your brother sins... Go and tell ten of the people what he did to you. Your Bible didn't say that? Amanda knew. If your brother sins, who do you go to if your brother sins against you? You go to that person. If that one part, that one verse was followed, there would be no more gossip. There'd be no more hurt in the church from one another. If we would just go to the people who have hurt us, rather than telling ten other people, go to that person. That's the first step of church discipline. One person going to one person. Then, if you've done that, then it says the second step, if, if he listens to you, then you've won your brother. Verse 16, if he doesn't listen to you, then take two or more. So by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So after you've gone to the person, they haven't responded, then you take somebody with you to confirm that. That's the second step of church discipline. The first step of church discipline is not to communicate somebody from the church. It's going to that person. They don't listen to the, the two of you or the two or three. Then verse 17, third step. You go to the, if they refuse to listen, go to the church. Then you tell the church. Then listen to the church. Then you treat him as Gentile tax collector. Now, in the context of this, uh, Peter, who always, always had something to say, a lot of times the wrong thing, but at least he was talking, and, and he has something to ask the Lord. He says, Lord, how often, verse 21, so my brother sinned against me and I, and I forgive him. How about seven times? That was significant because there was a rabbinical law. The, 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 the rabbis had legalized everything, even forgiveness. They had set up a rabbinical law that said you had to forgive three times. If someone wronged you, you couldn't get bitter the first time or the second time. But on the fourth time, like in marriage, if your wife burnt the toast four times, you could divorce her. And that, that was grounds for divorce. The, you had to forgive three, but the fourth time, that was all it took. 
So, so Peter doubles the law, adds one for good measure, and says, how about seven times someone wrongs me seven times and I still forgive them? Wouldn't that be pretty big of me? Jesus answers in verse 22 and says, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, 490 times. So what does that mean? Does that mean we're supposed to keep track and on, on the, okay, that's the 222nd time, 223rd time, and on the 491st time, then, then we can get bitter? Is that what that means? Now, it means the breadth of our forgiveness is limitless. The, the fact is, no one's going to hurt you 490 times. But here's the fact. You're going to think about it 490 times. And, and bitterness is not a one-time act of forgiveness. It's choosing every time that thought, what that person said, what they did comes up, again you forgive, again you forgive. You may have to forgive 490 times a year, a month, a day, if you're meditating on it. Hope you don't. But the point is that the breadth of our forgiveness should be limitless. And it has to be done over and over and over again. I, I think a lot of people say, well, I've, I've dealt with bitterness. I forgave that person. But you don't forgive somebody one time. It's got to be every time the thought, every time the, the memory comes again, I choose to forgive. And in the context of that, Jesus says, stand with me. Let's look at a few verses here. Let's stand together. Look at this illustration he gives. Matthew 18, start at verse 23 now. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to sell his account with his slaves. When he began to sell them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. We don't know how much 10,000 talents was. One commentary that I read said it's like $6 billion in our economy. The point was, it was an insurmountable figure. There was no way this slave could ever pay back what he owed. But since, verse 25, he did not have means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, all that he had, and repayment to be made. Now, back in this culture, that a very effective way of keeping people from going into debt. If you went into debt, couldn't make your payment, you got sold into slavery. You and your whole family. That, that kind of discouraged you from buying things you didn't need, money you don't have, right? And, and, and so, so he says, okay, I'm, I'm in trouble. I owe this money. So he falls down, verse 26, prostrated himself and said, have patience with me and I'll repay you. Give me an extension. I'll get it back. There was no way he could. But he was grasping anything at this point. Verse 27, the Lord of that slave felt compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Are you kidding? Six billion dollars? I got so much, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Unbelievable forgiveness. But that slave went out, found one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii, about seven thousand dollars in today's economy. It was not a small figure, but compared to six billion, it was. And, and he does the same thing the Lord did to him. He went out and, and seized him by the throat and said, pay back what you owe. And his fellow slave, verse 29, fell down to the ground and began to plead with him and said, have patience with me and I'll repay you. The same request he had made a few verses earlier. But he was unwilling and threw him into prison until he should pay back all his owed. And when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved. And they came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? In the same way that I had mercy on you, his Lord was moved with anger, hand him to the tormentor so he should repay all that was owed him. Now look at verse 35. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let's pray. 
Father, when we try to put a dollar amount on the forgiveness that you've given us, there is no number high enough. And yet somehow, Lord, even, even though you've extended incredible, unbelievable, unparalleled forgiveness to us, when someone wrongs us, we make that pile up like it's an equal amount. When in actuality, it's like Mount Everest compared to an anthill. And you've so freely given us forgiveness that we did not deserve, that we didn't even ask for initially. And you've called us to extend that same forgiveness to one another. Show us where we're not doing that and help us to take the step in the right direction to choose to forgive. And we'll give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want us to look here for a few moments at how we can transform bitterness into forgiveness. If we're going to do that, it's got to start by identifying how we get hurt. Bitterness is unresolved hurt. And I want us to look through this process this morning because I believe it's incredibly important. I, I, I think if, um, if I was to identify, which I've done, like the top five things I've seen over the years that is really killing the heart of the church all across the country, one of the top five is going to be bitterness. Because, because so many of us are looking at God through the grid of all the hurtful events of our life. And, and, and we're looking at people through the grid of all the hurtful things they've done to us. And the reason there's not reconciliation, the reason there's not even peace with God, is because we have all these layers of, of bitterness that is built up into our life. How, how does that happen? Well, it comes from being hurt. I mean, hurt is just a part of life. And, and here's some ways people hurt us verbally. Maybe you were hurt by the things people said to you. Maybe your, your parents called you stupid or dumb or, or, or friends did or, or whatever. Or, or maybe your dad was just unkind. Maybe your dad said to you one day, there's a bus leaving in 10 minutes. Be under it, that kind of a thing. Um, you know, th those can be uh, um, hurtful, uh, hurtful things. Or maybe it's things that you didn't hear said. If you were here yesterday, we said there are three things every child wants to hear their parents say. I love you, I'm proud of you, and I was wrong. And maybe, maybe your parent didn't say those things to you. Maybe you didn't hear verbally communicated to you things you needed to hear. Maybe you were hurt physically. Maybe you were disciplined in anger. We talked yesterday about the importance of child discipline. Children need to be disciplined. Children are like canoes. They go in the right direction, paddle from the rear. Uh, you know, and, um, uh, but there's a right way to do that. Proverbs says the rod of your anger will fail. If you discipline a child in anger then that, that's a failure. And maybe you had an alcoholic parent or just a, an abusive parent, an angry parent who disciplined when they, when they were mad because you did something that, that hurt something of theirs and, and, and you, you experienced the, 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 the discipline of, of an angry parent. Or maybe you're sexually abused. I remember years ago hearing James Dobson say that one out of every 20 homes in America is touched by incest. But when I, when I heard him say that, I thought, that can't be true. That's got to be high. But after traveling these years, I, I, I believe that's probably accurate, maybe low. And some of you have faced the, the abuse of a, of a, of a sibling or of a, of a relative or of a, of a neighbor or a stranger, and you've had to walk through all the, 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 the scars and the layers of, of sexual abuse. Maybe it was emotional abuse. Maybe someone just didn't communicate love to you in a way that would be representative of God's love. Or maybe you were treated in a way of prejudice because of some uniqueness about you. All those things, if not dealt with God's way, 
grow into bitterness. They say, Steve, this, this is not my problem. I got problems, but this is not my problem. Let me give you some tests you can ask yourself to see whether or not this is your situation. Is there someone you resent? Is there somebody you think, man, that person said this, did this, and when you think of what they said, what they did, it causes your fist to clench, your teeth to grind. Yeah, and, and, and if you resent someone, you've not dealt with bitterness God's way. How about this? Is there somebody you blame? See, I wouldn't be this way if it wasn't for the way my parents treated me. If it wasn't for that former pastor, what he did to me, what, what that boss did to me. With that child, with that, with that uh, sibling, if, if there's someone you're blaming for the circumstances of your life, we said last week, your past does, may explain your behavior, but does not excuse your behavior. And if you're excusing wrong behavior today because of something someone did to you in the past, you've not dealt with bitterness God's way. Uh, how about this? Is there someone you don't like because they remind you of somebody else? Ever met somebody like that? You don't like him, you're not sure why? After a while, it dawns on you, that reminds you of your mother. That's why you don't like them. And it's not the person that you're bitter towards. It's the person they remind you of. How about this? Do you have the same openness with the person after they hurt you as you did before they hurt you? Now, I'm not saying you're going to go on vacation with them. I'm not saying they're going to be your best friend. But, but do you have to walk across the street to avoid them? Can you, can you at least talk to that person? We were here in Michigan in church. The church had split two years before we'd gotten there. The pastor had taken 200 people, gunned down the road, started another church. We were at, we were at the mother church. And there was just great bitterness to what this pastor had done. I met with the deacons and trustees one night after the service, and I, and I said to them, you guys are not going to go any farther until you choose to forgive this pastor. I'm not saying what he did was right, but, but, but you, you're just harboring all this resentment. One of the trustees was a great big state police officer. He stood up and he said in the meeting, he said, Steve, we've already done that. We have already forgiven him. But he had barely ever stepped foot in his parking lot again. I talked to that man after that meeting. I said, you've, you've not forgiven this pastor. Said, yes, I have. I said, okay, I'll tell you what you do. If you've forgiven him, I want you to get, him on, get on the phone, call him, and invite him to come and his family to come to your house next Sunday for Sunday dinner. I wouldn't let him near my family. I said, then you're not forgiven. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to be your best friend or go on vacation. I'm just saying you will have a, be able to talk to a person. Now, the, the only time where there is not openness after an offense is in the area of sexual abuse. You don't want to surround yourself with someone who, is, who has abused you in some way. But other than that, um, the, the hurts that we are causing, seeing cause division is not about sexual abuse. It's just because someone stole something or did something or said something, and, and we've let that grow into that Mount Everest of hurt. Bitterness is caused by unresolved hurt. And I think there, there, there are two sides of this coin as to what causes this hurt. One is the area of lust. Lust, we think about lust as being a sexual thing. Lust is not just a moral thing. Lust is a consuming desire for anything. And, and, and we get bitter because there's something we want and God is refusing let me just say, all bitterness is ultimately directed towards God. If you have a bitterness issue, you have a God issue. It's not a, it's a no, I'm not, I'm not bitter God, I'm bitter at that person. No, if, if you have a bitterness issue, you have a God issue. Because every person that's allowed in your life has been sifted through God's hands. And your issue, we want to say, no, I'm, I'm just mad at that person. No, you're mad at God. God has, has not provided something that you want. There, there's something you want, and God won't let you have it, and you've gotten bitter at God. It, it could be a position you've wanted. Maybe you want a, a position here in the church. 
Maybe you want, you want to be able to teach a class, or maybe you want a position at your job. I know an individual who, who, who has just uh, wanted this position. He's incredibly intelligent, and, and uh, um, he, he's been passed over. He, he works in the spa- worked in the space program, and he's been passed over. He, he could not handle people. He handled information incredibly, but not people. And so all these other people were being elevated over him, and he lived in this gall of bitterness because he wanted a position, and God wouldn't let him have it. Maybe, maybe it's a, a possession you want. If I could just have a, a bigger house or a nicer car or a luxury vacation or if I could just, you know, dress like that person or, or have that thing, if I could just have that one thing, that would make me happy. And God has just said, you can't have that. And, and we've, we've gotten bitter at our circumstances, but ultimately, again, it's bitterness at God. Maybe it's a person you want. Maybe you're single. You, you just want to get married and, and God's not brought that person in your life. Maybe you're married, you want a child, and, and, and God has not opened the womb, and, and you decide, I just, I just want to have a child, and God's not let that happen. Maybe you just want a friend. Other people have, have intimate, close friends, and, and you just don't have someone you can confide in and, and that'll pray for you, and, and you, you, you just want a, a close friendship. And God hasn't provided that person that you have wanted, and you've gotten mad at God because he's not given you the person in your life that you wanted. Maybe it's a, a physical feature you want. You just wish you could sing better, or talk better, or be more musical, or, 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 or more intelligent, or, or uh, do sports better, or whatever. I, I think for me, um, growing up, I, I always wanted to be taller. I, I used to be a little taller, but I got married and settled down. But I just, uh, I, I played college basketball every team I ever played, and I was always the shortest guy on the team. I, I just knew it was a mistake God made me five, seven, and three fourths. You know, I, I should have been taller than that. And, um, I did, I did finally get over this because I found a verse in the Bible that says, and, and Daniel appreciate this, that God takes care of short people more than tall people. Because, um, the Bible says, lo, I am with you always. And, and so, um, I, I got over that. But, but sometimes there's, there's, there's a physical feature. And listen, if you can't accept yourself physically the way God has made you, if you can't trust God with your face, you're not going to trust Him with your life. And if you can't accept yourself physically and you want something else physically about yourself, you get mad at God because He's made you the way that you are. And it produces bitterness in our heart. Now, the other side of the coin is, is loss. It, it's the same four areas. Lust says, I want it, God won't let me have it. Lost says, I had it, and God took it away. Maybe there was a position you once had. Maybe there was a time in this church where, where you were one of the pillars of the assembly. I mean, if there was a decision, they came and talked to you about it. No one talks to you anymore. They don't ask your opinion anymore. You've lost that position. Maybe you had a, a job where, where, where you were running something or you were in charge of something. Maybe you were in the military and people used to salute and call you sir. No one salutes anymore. And there was a position you once held, and, and you know, there's different seasons of life. And we can get bitter because we've come to a season of our life where, where we don't have the, the, the same influence and the same usefulness that we had at one time in our life. We can get bitter at God about that. Maybe it's a possession you once had. Maybe you, uh, your, your child broke that vase that was so important to you or, or whatever. Or there, there's something that just got destroyed. Uh, maybe you just lost something. Did you ever lose your purse or, or, or lose your wallet? You know what's so frustrating about that is God knows right where it's at. It's like, come on, God, there's nothing, no money in there, but if I could just get the license and pictures and whatever else, and God, he's not telling you. And we can get bitter at God because we've lost a possession. Maybe you grew up in a home of affluence. 
Now in your current scenario, you don't have the things you had when you were younger. You can get mad at your situation in life, at your, at your husband, or, or because you don't have the, the things that you used to have at one point. You can get bitter God about that. Maybe it's a person you've lost. Maybe you've, maybe you've lost, uh, maybe you're here as a widow or a widower and, and you, you've lost uh, your mate and, and, and it, it's a, a, a tough and a difficult season, but we can get bitter about that. Maybe, maybe you've lost a child and, and it's hard to fathom the, the hurt, the, the daily hurt as, as that comes up. Maybe you lost someone through, through divorce. Maybe that's even more difficult than death. I don't know, but, but just going through the divorce and, and, and uh, your parents divorced or, or you lost a person and all the, the, the bitterness that can come in, in the midst of those, those family divisions. Maybe you just lost somebody to distance. Maybe, maybe you used to have a close friend, but they moved away and, and, and you lost that friendship that was so important to you. All those things, again, if not dealt with God's way, can grow into bitterness. Maybe you lost a physical feature. We get, we get older and, and, and we can't do the things we used to do. You can't, you can't see as well and drive at night or, or whatever. And I, I still enjoy sports. I, I still like to play basketball. And, but I, I'm just a step behind and a second late and, and my mind says go and my body says no, right? And, and, and we, we can, we can get bitter at God because we've lost some, some physical attribute, some physical ability we used to have. Heard about a pastor who was visiting one of his, uh, senior adult ladies and, in her home, and, and he noticed she had some peanuts on the coffee table, and he said, can I have some? She said, sure. And, and so while they were talking, he ended up emptying the entire bowl of peanuts. He was a little embarrassed, and he, he said to her, I'm, I'm really sorry, I ate all your peanuts, let, let, let me buy you some more. And she said, no, that's okay. Ever since I lost my teeth, I just suck off the chocolate. <laughs> well, we lose a lot of things. Okay. Um, <clears throat> moving on. A crisis, a crisis in our life is really an expression of God's love. A car wreck, a fire. You say, wait a minute, Steve, a, a, car, a, a crisis is an expression of God's love? If that's true, if a crisis is an expression of God's love, I wish God would stop loving me so much. I mean, you look at the life of, of Joseph. I mean, here is a guy who did everything right, but everything went wrong. He grew up in his home, had all these siblings, and, and uh, you know, he was dad's favorite. You know, dad made him this coat of many colors, and I guess the other brothers got gray ones. I don't know. And, and, and he, he told him this vision that he was going to have where they were all going to bow down to him. Not too smart to tell your brothers that, but anyway, he did. And, and, and they, they so hated their brother that one day they decided to kill him. They saw him coming, and they were going to kill him. One of the other brothers said, no, nah, that will hurt dad too much. Let's not do that. They threw him in a pit, and, and a passing caravan came by. And they sold their own brother into slavery. Can you imagine the hatred, the sibling rivalry to sell your brother into slavery? They took his coat of many colors and ripped it up and put some animal blood on it and said, Dad, I guess something got to Joseph. He's gone. Joseph goes to Egypt. He's put up on an auction block. He's purchased by Potiphar. He's now in a strange custom, a strange land with strange customs and strange culture and strange language. Potiphar purchases him, and he sees that Joseph is a man of integrity. And, and so after a while, he elevates Joseph to a position of leadership in his household. He goes on a business trip, and Potiphar's wife sees how desirable Joseph is, so she, she tries to seduce him. She says, come get in bed with me. He says, I'm not going to do that. She grabs him tries to pull him into bed. She grabs him by the coat sleeve. He runs out of the coat. The poor guy couldn't keep a coat. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and so she takes the coat and, and says, he tried to molest me. Well, Potiphar comes back. Potiphar could have had him killed. But I think he knew it was really not Joseph, it was his wife. And so he throws Joseph into prison. For two years, Joseph is rotting away in this Egyptian prison. Now, I don't know what you would have been doing, 
But if I was Joseph, I would have been saying, God, what do you want? I tried it right in my own country. I'm sold into slavery. I tried it right here. I'm falsely accused of immorality. I'm thrown into a prison and forgotten. God, what do you want? That's what I'd have been saying. But through this whole count, we don't read any place where Joseph questioned God. He didn't say, God, what are you doing? You know the story how he's elevated because of the ability he has to tell the king's dreams, and he's elevated to a position of leadership. He's now second in charge of the entire world, basically. It was the most powerful nation in the world. And, And because of the famine coming, all the other nations had to come to them for help, including his own family. And his brothers come over with their dad, and Joseph takes care of them. And then years later, their dad passes away. And the brothers say, okay, now Joseph's going to get even. Joseph's been nice to us and helpful, but now that dad's gone, we're in trouble. And so they crawl into Joseph's presence. They say, oh, Joseph, this is Genesis 50. Joseph, please, please don't hurt us. You know, we know we did wrong to you. And, and Joseph steps down off his throne, takes off his royal robes, walks among his brothers and says, don't you guys understand it yet? What you meant for evil, God meant for what? For good. You thought you you were doing me some dirty deed, but God knew this was always necessary because God had a bigger picture, a bigger plan. Joseph saw the crises of life as an expression of his love and saw the salvation it provided not only for him, but for his entire family. Some years ago, Myron Paulus showed me a little chart, and, and uh, I, want, I want to pass it on. I think it's, it's valuable. And, and, and it says this. Basically, we can either look at life through God's eyes or through our own. Either we accept the things of life as a part of God's plan or we reject it. The, the first verse I ever learned was Romans 8, 28. Most people learn John 3, 16. I, wrote, I learned Romans 8, 28. My parents had a plaque in our house that had that on it. All things work together for good, then the love God, then they're called according to his purpose. And I learned that verse from, from early years. But I never read verse 29 until I got to college and, and understood it. And verse 29 of Romans 8 tells us what Romans 8, 28, all things are working together for the good for. Verse 29 says that we might be conformed to the image of his son. God uses all things, Romans 8, 28, to make us in the image of Christ. That's part of God's plan. But we have this false expectation. We just, we just kind of expect everything to go well for us. If, if you were in a service sometime and somebody said, come to, come to Christ, come to God, you'll be happy, healthy, and wealthy, that is not true. Paul said, if this is all we have, this life, we're of all men most miserable. But we're not living for this earth. And we have this expectation that we just should have everything go our way. I mean, we're Christians. Everything should fall in the line for us. Let's just say that somebody came to your house today, 5 o'clock, you're getting ready to come to the service tonight at 6 o'clock. And, and they say to you, we're from a local foundation, and we've decided to give you $100. Wow, thank you. Tomorrow night at 5 o'clock, they're there again. We decided to give you another $100. Well, thank you. The next day, 5 o'clock, another $100. This goes on for a week, for two weeks, for three weeks. Every day, 5 o'clock, they're there giving you a $100 bill. Now, you're there meeting them at the door by this time, right? And, 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 and you think, man, this is great. I am making now $700 a week more. I can buy that 32-foot-wide TV I wanted for my living room. I, I, I can buy that, that new boat and that new car because I can make payments. I'm 700 a month, 700 a week more. This is great. This is going for a month. 
Every day, five o'clock, there they are. The next month starts, you're there, five o'clock, open the door, they're not there. It must be late. Six, seven, they, they don't show up. But maybe I missed them. The next day, you're there at three o'clock with the door open. Three, four, five, six, they, they don't show up again. You call them on the phone and say, <laughs> haven't seen the last couple of days. <laughs> don't be a stranger. <laughs> Is there a problem? And they say, yes, we've decided not to give you $100 a day anymore. And you blow up. You say, you can't do that. I bought all this stuff on time. I got this 32-foot white TV. I, I, I got, what, what am I going to do with all this? Would you have any right to get upset with them, yes or no? No. You didn't deserve it in the first place. But that's what happens with us. God blesses and blesses and blesses, and then he shuts off the blessing for a while, and we say, God, what are you doing? Did you ever get mad at God for blessing you? God, I don't deserve this. Don't do this. No, we don't do that. But it doesn't go our way. We get mad. Why? Listen, all we deserve is a red-hot seat in hell. That's all we deserve. We don't deserve the seat. We don't deserve anything. Anything you get that is better than hell is more than you deserve. But we have this expectation that says, I better have all these things fall in line the way I want in my time, in my way. And if not, then God, I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm a poochie lip. I'm, I'm, I'm mad at you. You're doing it my way. And that false expectation leads us to hurt because we don't see God do what we want him to do in our way, in our time. God wanted to use those all things, those crises for our help. If you look to your circumstances, you're going to get bitter. If you look to God, things are going to get better. But we have looked at our circumstances and said, I don't, this doesn't fit into what I wanted. God, it's your fault. Again, our bitterness is towards God. And that bitterness shows up outwardly in fear. But what's going to happen next? God, God let 9-11 happen. God let this happen. What's the next thing that's going to happen? God let this happen to my family or my finances or my car or whatever. What's the next thing? Rather than realizing that God has called us to choose gratitude. Now, you might circle the word grateful because the starting point to, to seeing victory in our life over hurt and bitterness is choosing to say thank you. You choose gratitude, not because you feel like it. The Bible says in everything give thanks. It doesn't say give thanks if you feel thankful. People say, well, I can't give thanks. I don't feel that. The Bible didn't say to do that if you, if, you're, if you feel that way. It says you do it. It's the sacrifice of praise. It's the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We do it because God says to. We choose to express gratitude, not because we feel it. And, and when, you, when you don't do that, that fear then leads to this, this overwhelming frustration because all the, we, we live in such a, a joyless culture. There's so much angst in our culture of churches today. Because we're frustrated now because all these things have happened. We're fearful. And so we just live in all this, this situation of angst when God was trying to grow your faith. Faith, faith is the evidence of things not seen. I, I can't explain it all to you, but you sit there and say, I have confidence in God. I have faith in God. And I, I've by faith expressed gratitude. But, but if we don't do that, that fear and frustration spews out in anger. An angry person is a bitter person. And if you're spewing out anger by the doors of your home, you're yelling at your family, yelling at people driving down the road when they cut you off, yelling at people. If, if you have an anger issue, you have a bitterness issue. And anger is just the vomit that comes from a soul that is bitter. And it usually affects the people that are closest to us. 
when God was trying to develop in you the fruit of the Spirit, if you're walking in the Spirit, then love, joy, peace, long-suffering, the nine qualities of the fruit of the Spirit is going to vomit out of your life. Pardon the expression. It's going to come out of your, spring out of your life. Uh, rather, bitterness vomits and this, anyway, uh, you understand. It comes out of your life. Now, I used to stop this chart right here, and then I was in a meeting in, in um, Missouri, and um, we, the first week, as we did here, we went around to your staff and just kind of had them tell their story. And there was a, a staff member at this particular, particular church. He was the full-time family counselor. And he shared his story, and he said that um, he was talking about his life, and he said, and I haven't talked to my dad in 25 years. And he, he didn't say it out of conviction or out of it bothering him, just out of a matter of a fact. I'm thinking, here's the family counselor who hasn't talked to his dad in 25 years. It turns out later on, we found out, as he shared, that uh, um, his dad, when he was young, had walked out of their home, divorced his mom, left him. He was the oldest sibling. He said, at first, I was just hurt because dad left. I mean, I, I didn't understand that. And then, then I began to see all the hurt that it caused my mom. And then I started being upset with my dad for leaving. And then, and then I was the oldest child, so I had to kind of jump in and, and, and do some of the dad stuff. And so now it's putting all this pressure on me. Then I started hating my dad for leaving. But I've, I realized this week that all of that hate and anger and bitterness has grown into a difference. I don't even know if my dad's alive, he said. I haven't talked to him in 25 years. He, he sent me one letter. I didn't even read it. I ripped it up and threw it away. He said, my dad is a lost Mormon. I, I, I could never tell him about Christ until I go back and, first of all, find if he's still alive and, and then ask him to forgive me for the, 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 the bitterness I've held and for all the years I've, I've just pushed him totally away. I could never share the gospel with him. What do you think the effectiveness of his life was as a counselor when his own, in his own life he wasn't even dealing with that? And, and, and we're trying to help other people with things that we're not even dealing with in our own life. Now, how, how does this have an effect on us? It, it affects us in a lot of ways. Physically, bitterness destroys you. I don't have time to go into detail, but, but, but you understand. Let me read you a quote from a book called None of These Diseases. It says, ulcerative colitis, toxic goiters, high blood pressure, are only a few of the scores of diseases that can be caused by bitterness. Our resentments call for certain hormones, hormones from pituitary, adrenal, thyroid, and the glands. Excess of these hormones can cause disease in any part of the body. 90% of disease comes from low resistance. And, and, and the problem is physically, when you hold bitterness in your heart, physically, it'll destroy you. Emotionally, it'll depress you. Why? It requires emotional energy to maintain a grudge, and you become like the person you resent. That's really depressing. You talk to this, this teenage girl, she's, oh, man, my mom, she's domineering, outspoken, unsensitive to my needs. You let her get married, talk to her husband down the road a few years, man, my wife, domineering, outspoken, insensitive to my needs. The same thing you point in other people ends up becoming your own issues. That's pretty depressing. Mentally, it puts you in a dungeon. You become a prisoner to the person who has wronged you. Some years ago, we were uh, in a meeting. We have a, a leadership team in Life Action, and, and uh, some, most men, half of them are here in your church. And uh, we, we, were, uh, we, we were meeting in a, a summer meeting, and, and we just had like an hour slot. And in the middle of this leadership meeting, we had a number of our other staff in there. Somebody said something that, that, that contradicted something I had said earlier, and it made me look like I lied. 
And it was like, it kind of caught me off guard. And it was like, we, we only had like five more minutes in this meeting. We had to be to someplace else. And so uh, it was, the statement was made. And I'm kind of thinking, and, and somebody says, let's pray. And everybody left. And I thought, what just happened here? I, I, I really got put into a, a bad light. And, and for the next week, all I could think about was, man, how am I going to make myself look good again? How am I going to correct this? And how am I going to, you know, you know I, I, and, and for about a week, all I could think about was what that person said and, and, and how I can, and, and, and about a week, God said, Steve, you ever going to talk to me again? Because every time I'd start just having some time, I was always thinking about how, how can I rectify, how can I make this thing? I, I was in a prison to this situation. I was, I was at a church in uh, um, someplace, and, and a guy came to me on the first Sunday, and he said, yeah, I used to go to another church in town, but this pastor, he really hurt me, kind of told me the story. Kind of the middle Sunday like this, I saw that man again. He said, yeah, I saw this pastor walking down the street. Did I tell you what he did to me? I said, yeah, you told me already. I saw that guy a little bit later in the, in the meeting. Every time I saw him, all I wanted to talk about was how this pastor hurt him. He was living. He was in that dungeon. He, he could have walked out. The, the cell door was gone, but he was living in a prison of his own making. And, and some of us are living in a mental dungeon. We, we think we're really hurting another person. Bitterness is, is drinking poison, thinking that the person's going to die. That, that pastor probably didn't even know that the guy was bitter. But we're the one in prison, and spiritually will defeat you. You, 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 can't, uh, you can't love God if you're bitter. The Bible says, how can you love God who you have not seen and hate your brother whom you have seen? You, you will curse your family. Deuteronomy 5.9 says that the sins of the parents are visited to the third and the fourth generation, listen to this, of them that hold hatred in their heart. When you hold hatred in your heart, you curse your family four generations down the road. You'll doubt your salvation. In, in, in the Lord's Prayer, we say this, Father, forgive us in the same way that we forgive others. Now, he doesn't answer that prayer because his forgiveness is unconditional. But you're going to wonder, man, if, if I'm not forgiving others, I wonder if God really has forgiven me. It's, it's pretty defeating. Now, now, what's the solution? Forgiveness requires repentance. You've got to turn for that. You've got to change your attitude, change your mind, and, and change your direction. And, and the way you do that is to allow the past to stand as history. You can't change your past. How many people do you know that, that you've talked to that just live a prison of their past? All they want to talk about is what that person said, what that person did. And, and then you change your response to the past. You change your response to it. You can't change that, but you can change how you look at it. And how do you do it? You choose to forgive the indebtedness of the person that has wronged you. It's a choice. Now, 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 some of us have gone that far. Some of us have said, okay, I realize I can't change the past, and, I, and I, I've made a choice to forgive that indebtedness. But, there, but there's one more step I think we've missed here. Let's just say that somebody comes to your house um, after, lunch, after the service, and, and uh, you serve them lunch, and, and um, you're, they're walking out of the house, and, and, and they walk through your living room, and you have this coffee table there, and, and on that coffee table or that end table is, is a nice lamp. And as they're walking, that they trip, Hit the, hit the end table, it knocks over, the lamp falls, shatters into a thousand pieces. They say, oh, I, I, I broke your lamp. And then they say, let me buy you a new lamp. And you say, that's okay, don't worry about it. No, 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 I broke your lamp. How much was it? You say, don't worry about it. it, it it's okay, it happens all the time. No, 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 I broke your lamp. No, it, it's okay, really, it was an old lamp. 
It was an antique. But that's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, and they say, are you sure? And you say yes. Now, what did you do? You just chose to forgive their indebtedness. They broke the lamp. They should buy a new one. But you say, even though you made the, you, you made the problem, I am not going to hold you responsible for that lamp. That's great. But there's still a problem. There's still a shattered lamp and an absence of light. So you know what you do? You clean up the mess, and you go and buy a new lamp. You repay the damage that they have caused. And that's where we're missing it. We say, okay, I forgive you, but I never want to see you again. Never going to talk to you, never going to pray for you. The Bible says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. In the situation in, in my life, about a week later, um, God said, why, why, don't you, why don't you talk to me about that? What do you think I want you to do? I started praying for that person. I, I started ministering that. I, I started supporting them. I, I, I tried to minister their children. I, I reached out and I, I, I did my best to try to be the person that, that, that Jesus would want me to be. And I, that, that person is a great friend of mine. And, and, and if we just sit there and say, well, when they realize what they've done, when they come back to me, then I'll do something about it. It's not going to happen. It's you repaying the damage that the person caused. And, and let me tell you where to start. Make the greatest investment where you have the greatest potential for bitterness. That statement came out of a meeting that we had in Jacksonville, Florida. It was a, a military church. A lot of folks, there's a naval base there, and a lot of folks were in, in the military there. And there was a lady in the church whose husband had been on board the USS Stark. Years ago, uh, in the Persian Gulf, there was an Iraqi jet fighter that fired on the USS Stark, and a shell hit the ship, and 38 men were killed. Her husband is one of the men that was killed on that, on that attack. And during our, our time there at the church, she said God showed her that she to make the greatest investment where she had the greatest potential for bitterness. So she sold her house, took her son, and moved to Iraq and became a missionary in the city where the planes were launched that killed her husband. She says, my greatest potential bitterness is toward the Iraqi people, so I'm going to invest my life in seeing them come to Christ. She brought light to the place where the darkness had invested or infested her, her own heart. Some years later, she came back and moved to New York, and she started a, a ministry to Iraqi students who had come from Iraq to New York for education. She has a ministry to college students now. She's given her life to the Iraqi people group because that's the one that took her husband. She made the greatest investment, which had the greatest potential for bitterness. Now, now, now the starting point to healing is simply this. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's not the will of God that bad things happen. It's the will of God you give thanks in the midst of them. Ephesians says, give thanks for all things. What, what is God? How can I give thanks for this horrible situation? Because God works all things together for his good. And it's not because you feel like it. It's because you choose to. And, and, and the first step in this process is just to say, God, I don't really understand all this. I, I'm, I'm not God, but I'm going to choose as an act of my will to thank you. And I'm going to do that every time that thought comes up, maybe 490 times a day if it keeps coming up. And I'm going to thank you for that because you're God and I'm not. Some of you know the story of, of Corey Tinboom, author of The Hiding Place. 
Corrie ten Boom, um, after, after the war, God sent her on a mission of mercy, and she would go through the war-torn nations of Europe. And, and the war had, had divided cities and divided families as Hitler uh, marched through. And, and, and she would go back to these areas, and she would share her story. Her family tried, as you know, to help the, the Jews uh, in, in her village escape, and, and as a result of that, they too were arrested. Her parents were killed. She and her sister were put into the same concentration camps as the, as the Jews, and, and, and she said it was, it was just a horrible experience. We were, we were like cattle. They would, they would bring us in there and strip us and inspect us, and, and, and it was just we're just being herded through. In one of those camps, she said, we, we would breed lice because the more lice we could breed on our body, the less the guards would molest us. In one of those camps, her, her sister died because of uh, the frailty of her life, and Corey, being more strong um, physically, survived. And, and she would share these, some of these atrocities, and, and then she would say, but we need to choose to forgive. And what she was saying was, if I've walked through the, the, the death and uh, all these deaths and all these abuses and so forth, if I can forgive, so can you. She'd shared her story, and at the close of a service, a man came walking down the aisle. She immediately recognized him. He, he was, was one of the guards at, at one of those camps where she had been interned. He didn't recognize her. She was another one of the cattle herded through. He walked up to her, and he said, Fraulein, you don't know me, though she did. But I was a guard in one of those camps you mentioned tonight. He's after the war. God saved me. I, I wish I could go back and, and undo all those things that, that I did, but, but I can't. But I've, I've just been prompted tonight to come to you and, and just ask you, would you please forgive me for, for my part in all that? And Corrie Boom said that for a moment, her, her arms just froze her side. She, she, she couldn't move. I mean, all the, all the atrocities and, and all the, the hurt and everything she went through just was vivid right in the, in the, the front of her mind, and, and she just froze. She said, and then the Spirit of God said to her, Corey, what have you been telling everyone else to do? To choose as an act of your will to forgive. And she said, as an act of my will, I, I reached out and I put my hand in his and I said, you're forgiven. It was like a dam broke loose. And God just set her free. You know, all of us have gone through difficult situations. None of us have gone through what she went through. I, I, I did share that one time, and a lady on about the third row started crying and got up and ran toward the back, and one of the staff members carried down the front. And she came to me afterwards, and she said, Steve, I, I too was in a country where there was an invasion, and an invading officer molested me and raped me. And I, it, it was 40 years ago, but I've hated that man and that day for 40 years. But she said, this morning right there at the altar. I thanked God for that. I have never felt so free in my entire life. She stepped out of that prison. Will you? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I, I don't know your story, but I know God. And I know His desire for you is to walk in freedom and gratitude and gratefulness. And the starting point of that is a choice. We, we've set aside a room. It's the choir room. It's out the doors to my right, your left. It's just empty chairs. But there's somebody this morning who need to just take some time to deal with God about this whole issue of bitterness. We're going to take a break here, and people are going to talk to you, and you'll rush past what God's saying to you right now. 
But right now, if you would just take a few moments and say, God, I, I want to I talk to you about this. I, I, I need to do business with you. I, I have been bitter and resentful toward a parent or a person or someone in my life or a situation. And I, I've let that spew out in bitterness and fear and frustration and angst and anger. And, and I want that to change. Your circumstance won't change. Your attitude towards it will change. You can't change the past. But you can change your attitude toward the past. And you can choose to say, God, by an act of my will, I'm going to choose this morning to thank you for this person, this circumstance, this situation. And I want to invite you right now. We're not going to stand. We're not going to sing. But there's some of you, God has spoken to you about this area in your life. And before you do anything else, you just take some time to respond to God and talk to him about that. And I want to invite you right now to get out of your seat and slip out the doors. You can get there about any doors to your left. It's right straight across the hall. And just get along with God for a few minutes. Would you do that right now? If God's spoken to you about this area of bitterness, people will let you out. Just slip out and get along with God for a little bit. You don't need to be talking to anybody else. You just need to be talking to God right now. So just slip out. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you want to take somebody with you, you can. If you want somebody to pray with, that's fine. But just slip out right now. I'll wait for you. If you're in the back, you can slip out the back and down the hall. But just go right now and get along with God for a little bit. Would you do that? And just say, God, listen to me. I've been bitter. Bear at you, bear at this person, the circumstance. And I'm going to choose this morning as an act of my will to thank you for that. You go right now. Just humble yourself. Crush your pride in the carpet. Just take a moment to get along with him. Anybody else? I'll, I'll, I'll wait for you. Let's just quietly stand to our feet. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. If you need to slip out, take some time with the Lord to do that. Where does God find you? What are the areas that you need to choose once again just to say, God, thank you? We're going to take a break here, and, and, and there's plenty of time. If you just need to get alone for a little bit or take somebody with you or talk with somebody, don't, don't rush past what God is saying to you right now. And maybe you just need to choose once again. That, that's why I believe Jesus said 70 times 7. It wasn't the number. It's over and over and over again. I'm going to choose to thank you for that person, that circumstance, that situation. It, it, it may be you do that to the day you die. But you keep on doing that. You choose that. Don't, don't rush past this next yes to God.